This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining our monthly Global Markets Perspective podcast. My name is Philip Robotham, and I'm delighted to be joined by friend of the podcast, Sebastian Mullins, Deputy Head of Multi-Asset Australia. Hello, Sebastian. Happy New Year, and welcome to the podcast again. Hi, Phil. Thanks. Happy New Year. Good to be back. For more information on any of the topics we discuss on this podcast, please do not hesitate to contact your usual Schroeder's representative. Um, As ever, we're going to spend the next 15 minutes discussing what's happening in global markets, focusing on the key investment themes that are framing the investable landscape. So let's just start with a brief recap of 2022. Uh, The MSCI Acqui Index was down 18% in 2022, and we're heading into this new year against a pretty difficult backdrop. Uh, A major war in Europe continues, inflation, albeit softening in places, cost of living crises, energy markets in turmoil, rising interest rates, pandemic hangover, the list continues. Um, There's a lot going on and it's shaping the investment environment and challenging companies within this environment. Um, Sebastian, perhaps we can start with your views and expectations in 2023 given this backdrop and conscious you spoke to our audience back in September on this podcast um, and how have your views changed since then? Thanks, Phil. Well, I think the interesting thing is when we last spoke, when I was in South Africa as well, we discussed how inflation was really the big regime shift uh, that will force valuations in both equities and bonds to um, come under pressure and have poor performance. And I guess when we were last talking to you a few months prior to the podcast, you know, it was pretty, pretty dire, but then we saw returns really sort of fall dramatically into that sort of third end of third quarter in that September period. So since then, markets have actually bounced back pretty strong in September onwards. But despite seeing a pretty strong fourth quarter rally, effectively, if you wrap up 2022 using, say, US standard US 60-40 balanced portfolio, it returned around minus 17%, which is the worst return since the 1930s outside of the GFC. So GFC was worse, obviously, but the past 100 years, effectively, this was the second worst since the Great Depression. So pretty terrible backdrop. Um, What people are asking now is essentially, now that inflation seems to have peaked, is the worst over? Is it behind us? The problem we have in our forecast, essentially, is that we still think, at least the first half of 2023, um, the worst is not behind us. So yes, inflation has peaked, it seems to be rolling over, but we really need to see how long it takes to fall and where does it sort of plateau at? Does it fall down to say six and stay there? That'd be pretty terrible from a high of nine, or does it fall back down to say four to 3%? And how long it takes to get there and where it ends up will be very important. But if we assume inflation has peaked and we have seen quite a lot of valuation derating, then maybe the sort of valuation rate story is in equity market pricing and even some credit and bond market pricing. However, we do have a very high chance of recession next year. Now, we talked about recession last year. Most indicators are even worse now for this year. For example, the New York Fed probability of recession 12 months ahead is at 38%, which might sound a bit low, but effectively that's the same peak it got to during COVID in 2020, and is just shy of the sort of 40% it hit during 2008. So pretty elevated by that metric. 
And if you use sort of the confidence leading indicator, sorry, confidence board leading indicator, six month change, it has never been this low without a recession since the 70s, actually since the 60s. So that's pretty negative. And our own recession dashboard has 65% of its indicators flashing red, which is the worst in its sort of 40 year history and at the same level as the GFC. So it does seem very likely that there'll be a recession this year. And with that, earnings should come under pressure. So we think that earnings scenario, as you kind of alluded to at the start, is the next shooter drop for equities and risk assets. And until we see that accurately priced, um, there's probably more volatility and potentially more downside ahead. Just touching on your your own recession dashboard for a moment, perhaps you can share with us those new indicators that have been triggered since the last conversation, because I believe back in uh, August, September, we were looking at just under 50% of those indicators being triggered. So, so what's, what's changed there? What's increased this up to 65? What's interesting is, I guess, the start of 2022, the recession dashboard is kind of broken up into three parts. The first third are effectively um, inflationary indicators, which were all flashing red at that point. Then the next third, you have monetary policy action, which was all green. And then you had markets and economic indicators, which is flashing red. So most of last year, you saw the inflation indicators flashing red and the sort of imminent markets and economy indicators flashing red, but all the monetary policies were green. Today, um, all of the monetary policy ones are red. All the inflation ones are pretty much red, but the imminent market and economic hit is less red. So all up, you have more of the monetary policy ones flagging red. So it kind of makes more sense now You've seen inflation, you've seen the monetary response being pretty aggressive, and now we're starting to wait for that final trigger point of those market slash economic indicators, which when they trigger, when everything else is triggered, typically leads by about one to three months. So we're getting pretty close now by that dashboard. Well, in that case, moving on to central banks. In 2022, the focus was very much bringing inflation, as as you've mentioned, under control and no longer underpinning valuations the way they used to. Um, your view, by the sound of it, is 2023 central banks are still very much in play, fair to say. And, and, and could you cover a couple of the main central banks, Fed, ECB, etc., um, and your expectations of their, um, of, of their terminal rates or continuing to focus on raising rates? Sure. Well, I guess the main thing for central banks is we do think they're going to continue to hike. I mean, they haven't gotten to their own terminal rate yet. But the difference between this year and last year was that if you think about the start of 2022 um, or even December 2021, if you use the U.S. new Taylor rule, that was saying a terminal rate of 5% in the U.S. was adequate back a year ago. And of course, back a year ago, that seemed insane. Whereas today, we're not there yet. We're at 4.5% the Fed funds rate but the market is pricing in already a terminal rate of 5%. So in a way, there's still room for them to, to hike, but it seems like forward-looking, the market has priced the majority of it in. So we do think central banks are in play. They're going to continue to hike until they get to that terminal rate. But the big question then becomes, how long do they stay at that terminal rate? Because a lot of um, forward-looking indicators expect rates to be cut as early as sort of late this year, which seems a bit optimistic without a recession. And you also have to understand that if inflation doesn't come down fast enough, then a terminal rate of 5% is not sufficient. If you look at the old Taylor rule, that actually says a cash rate of 8% is adequate today. So there is still some variability around how central banks around the world will play this game. Now that's just the US, but obviously 
the ECB's been more hawkish than expected. You know, they have positive rates now in, in Europe, which is crazy. And even Japan is having a problem with inflation. So it's really every central bank in the developed world looks like they're going to continue to hike and get to those terminal rates. We do think inflation has peaked. So we are actually quite positive on duration. Um, probably a bit more neutral because we're unsure in the medium term where inflation will get to. But given our base case of a recession and that inflation is peaking and that forward-looking market indicators have pretty much priced in an accurate um, terminal rate, we do think you can have duration as protection in your portfolio as you go into that recession. But say a couple of months out from that, um, we need to see where, where inflation gets down to. Now that's just developed world. Obviously central banks and emerging markets are probably more likely to cut rates sooner than developed worlds. I mean, they hiked rates aggressively, uh, you know, in the teens in some places and actually have lower inflation now than the US. So there are pockets of opportunities in emerging markets for central banks to be cutting rates. But in the main developed world, we do think they're going to stay stay high and stay higher, for maybe a bit longer than the market's expecting. But thinking about a 10-year bond, for example, we think that's probably fairly priced right now. Great. Just picking up your um, comments on the old Taylor rule and pointing to the terminal rate of 8% from the Fed. Um, what are your expectations? What's the team talking about with regards to markets pricing in 5% in line with the market, but then this old Taylor rule pricing in eight, do you believe it's going to be somewhere in the middle? What is your expectation? And if it is over 5%, what's the potential ramifications on, on markets and, and how that's going to be priced in? Well, I think our view has been more like five to five and a half, which is probably not too dissimilar from what the recent Fed dots were suggesting. So we don't think it's too far away from what's being priced. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if the market's pricing five and you get to 5.5, that's not too much of a stretch given we're at effectively zero not so long ago. But obviously, if it turns out inflation is far stickier and far higher and longer than expected, and if the Taylor rule, the old Taylor rule of eight comes true, then that's going to be pretty devastating for most asset classes. Because that means, obviously, bonds have to sell further to account for that higher rate, and equity multiples have not gotten anywhere near pricing that kind of terminal rate. So that is a risk. That's why we're not sort of um, super bullish on duration in general, because there is that outside possibility of higher rates, but we do think uh, you know, our base case is more like five, five and a half. Okay, then moving to fiscal policy, um, your, what are your expectations for, I suppose, a more active fiscal policy reaction to, to any of these particularly negative sentiment market-driven uh, environments that we've just been discussing? Well, I do think it's we've seen a shift from effectively the past decade of fiscal austerity and monetary policy being the main dominant driver. I do think COVID was a regime shift for fiscal policy as well. And I think the fiscal taps are going to be hard to turn off, to be honest. If you think about it, the biggest lesson learned from the GFC was moving to austerity too quickly. You had the fiscal support, you had the monetary support, but then they went straight back to reining that in because of the Tea Party movement under Obama on the Republican side. So they really hamstrung what he could do by having fiscal spending out there. This time around, I think both Republicans and Democrats, whoever is in charge, will spend. It just depends on who they spend for. Interestingly, if you look at some sort of median voter um, polls, it does show that only 45% of Americans want to reduce the budget deficit, which compares to a high of 75% during those Tea Party era, the Tea Party days. So it doesn't seem like the old Republicans of wanting to balance budgets are 
likely to be in play at the moment. So even though in the US you do have sort of mixed houses with Republicans and Democrats, um, they will try and impede any fiscal spending from Biden, but not moving back to fiscal austerity. And if you think about places like Europe, for example, the poster child for austerity, they've been giving out effectively 700 billion euros of fiscal support to um, pay for people's energy bills. So you're seeing these countries move to a fiscal spending regime and even places like China with their current economy falling, are looking to both use fiscal deficits and special debt as a way to boost investments and consumption. So I do think that fiscal genie is out of the bottle and they will use that as their main way to stay in power and the main way to keep um, the population happy at the same time when central banks have to be a bit more aggressive to bring inflation down. So that will be an interesting dynamic to watch in the next couple of years. Brilliant. We'll circle back to the, the emerging market regions uh, in just a moment, having, having your reference there of China and Chinese equities. Uh, I just wanted to touch on commodities and your views on, on commodities as a strategic asset allocation, especially considering this new trending expression from CIOs, global banking CIOs, referencing a super trend in commodities in the 2023 outlooks. Uh, I just wanted to get your view and the team's view on, on commodities as that strategic asset allocation. I think from a strategic point of view, it makes a lot of sense. So if you think about the long-term bullish thesis, essentially, there's been a lack of investment in supply. Supply is well below what is needed, um, even from historical demand rates. Supply is well below that. So even just to maintain historical supply, there hasn't been investment to even match that, let alone build new supply. You've seen um, a dwindling of inventories. You've also seen you know, the potential need to rebuild our energy grid and the movement to electrification, which demands materials. So for the next 10 years, I'm probably very bullish on commodities. And as you said, a lot of CIOs are referencing that. The irony is you know, that the time to have bought was probably in 2020 when things were bottoming out during COVID. There's been a fantastic run from 2020 to effectively the war in 2022. And since then, we've given quite a bit back. So I think long-term, we're still very bullish, but short-term, not so clear. Because for us, the outlook for demand is unknown. We know geopolitical risk could lead to another spike in commodities. If there's another you know, outburst in Ukraine or something similar, that could put pressure on commodity prices to go higher. But also, if a recession is our base case, then demand is also likely to fall. So the balance of those things makes it a bit harder to judge in the short term. If I want to think of a more positive short-term view, obviously China reopening should increase demand for commodities. You've also seen the US drain its US strategic petroleum reserve. So eventually we'll have to refill that. So there are some positive short-term, but given our base case of recession, we're less certain short-term. But as I said, long-term, we do think it's a structural holding. Thanks, Sam. Well, in that case, let's move on to global equities, uh, touching on valuations. Um, I don't know if it's just me drinking the, the Kool-Aid here, but can we make this argument for a positive allocation in global equities, right? We've got visibility on terminal rates. You've said, you're saying that we're seeing potential inflation peaking or majors have peaked in several key areas. We may be able to negotiate a soft landing in the US. Earnings revisions are just around the corner. Can we make this argument? Do you believe in it? I, I'm conscious that we've referenced the inflation mark and terminal rates from, from the US markets already, but um, what, what are your thoughts here? 
Well, I guess first of all, you have to frame my my time frame, right? Because my job is to time markets and allocate accordingly. If you're thinking in a five to ten years, obviously allocating to equities makes sense. The issue with valuations is the terminal rate is likely priced correctly. You've seen inflation start to roll over. So if you think about multiples, equity valuation multiples, for example, PEs, they have adjusted downwards quite significantly. So PEs back a year or two ago were about 32 times, whereas now they're more like 17 times, which is a great improvement in valuations. It's not screamingly cheap. In fact, the PE ratio, forward-looking PE ratio in the US is probably in the 64th percentile of history. So neutral, but slightly more expensive than neutral. So it's not like a screaming buy, but it's way better than it was. The problem is though, is that assumes the forward-looking outlook on earnings is correct. And this year, earnings expectations are actually positive 4%, which seems a bit optimistic if a recession is our base case. So we do think earnings are gonna come under pressure. In a standard run-of-the-mill recession, earnings fall 15 to 20%. Some of our forward-looking indicators actually suggest that's likely this term around. So not predicting a GFC or a crisis, but a standard run-of-the-mill recession should see earnings fall 15 to 20%, in which case the P ratio is quite expensive if you put that earnings expectation in. So what does that mean? You know, It does mean that equities are likely to fall further from here, retest the lows we saw in September, maybe fall lower than that if a recession does come true. That said, you're likely to see the markets look through that recession and start bouncing back as soon as the Fed pivots. That could even be as the market's pricing later in this year. So if you bought today and held it for a year, you could be flat, I do not know. But we do expect there to be a further low or a retest of the low in the next couple of months. So because I'm trying to time markets, I'm staying on the sidelines waiting to buy a better entry point but of course, if you're looking five years out, it's probably you know trying to pick points on a curve. So I do think there is a structural reason to hold equities. I do think equities are way cheaper now than they were in the past. But for me, there's better opportunities in the next couple of months. Okay. Well, in that case, um, your views on credit is credit a better opportunity in you know in the short term than, than equities, considering this, the the risk that we're that we're talking about in markets and the valuation points you just mentioned within the equity market. Well, it's interesting, right? Because if you think about a few years ago, we kept saying, Tina, you know, there is no alternative. You have to buy equities. You have to buy US blue chip tech. Um, now there are plenty of alternatives to look at. And I think credit is one of those. Now, credit is a pretty broad asset class. You know, you can have investment grade, high yield, loans, you name it. But if you think about, you know, our three-year expected returns for equities are around 3 to 5%. You know, they don't look fantastic given some of those valuation issues I just mentioned. Um, whereas you can get, you know, let's say a guaranteed yield, but you can get pretty high quality, um, stable yield in IG of around 6%. So that is attractive relative to equities and has lower um, risk than equities. That said, you know, Europe, for example, looks a lot more attractive from a spread base than, say, USIG. USIG looks attractive because obviously you've had the yields of sovereign bonds move quite a lot higher. Um, but the spread on top of that is okay. It's like 64th percentile wide. But places like Europe are actually at the 80th percentile, if not even wider than that. So pretty wide. And even places like Australia, investment grade credit, are pricing in a depression. They're actually showing spreads wider than COVID, and they're pretty much at the 78th percentile wide. So outside of the GFC, pretty much the widest they've been in non-bank corporate Aussie IG.
So they're definitely interesting pockets of opportunity in investment grade space. The overall global investment grade um, allocation also looks quite attractive, um, but it's you know you, you're sort of locking in potentially five to six percent for a period of time if you can handle the volatility if there are interest rate moves between now and then, which is probably a better outcome for equities at this point in time. Now high yield looks not as attractive. All in yields are very very high. You know if you think about it, a year ago um, high yield was giving you four percent. Now it's more like eight. So it is very attractive on an all-in yield basis, but spreads could go a lot wider in a recession. So for us, if you have to invest today, you probably want some IG. Um, but if you're willing to wait a few months for a better entry point into either equities and high yield, then there is that opportunity to wait to make that investment. But if you have to invest today, IG does look very attractive. Fantastic. And, and a great summary at the end to, to finish this podcast. Sebastian, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate you having me and hopefully chat to you soon. Take care. And to our listeners... Thank you for joining us and we look forward to engaging with you further uh, in 2023. Many thanks. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998. Registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment. The forecasts included are not guaranteed. They are provided only as at the date of issue and should not be relied upon. Our forecasts are based on our own assumptions, which may change. We accept no responsibility for any errors of fact or opinion and assume no obligation to provide you with any changes to our assumptions or forecasts. Forecasts and assumptions may be affected by external, economic or other factors.